to their seats, and we're going to continue. And if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the Old Testament book of Exodus, just the second book in. And in a minute, we'll read from that, and it'll be up on the screen for you. My name's Joe Crummy, and I'll be speaking this morning. And we've been doing a whole series this fall on the life of Moses and the people of God and their experience and interaction and relationship with God. And so we've been able to get many, many things uh, out of this. And Brent spoke a couple weeks ago from Exodus 32 on how God pardoned the Israelites and how Moses was really the mediator, the go-between, pleading for them. And then Gary last week from Exodus 33 spoke about God's presence and Really, that's the most vital thing, is the presence of God. And Moses is saying, God, if you're not going with us, we're not going. Even if you send an angel to lead us, and just that whole thing of the presence of God and how that relates to us today, that we need God. And today we're going to take a look at Exodus 34 and this whole thing of this covenant that we see, uh, we read earlier about in Exodus, and it comes up again in 34 with the Ten Commandments and this whole aspect of covenant. And we're going to connect things this morning with uh, Moses, covenant, and Christmas. So we're going to cover a a few thousand years uh, right up and really into eternity. And so for some of our men who are at the men's weekend, we'll be covering some of the things again. And many of you wanted to uh, say, you know, we need to look at this again. So that's what we're going to do here this morning based on Exodus 34. Let me just first say, uh, we mentioned last week, about this piece of land that we were, that came up a couple weeks ago on the Limerick Road and that we were thinking about and putting a tender in on Monday. And can I just say, we had the most incredible prayer meeting last Sunday night. For those of you who were able to be there, the land was way down on the list of things. It was the presence of God. And we called out to God and we sought God for a couple of hours. It, it was incredible. We almost, in some ways, forgot to go anything about the land because we were so... God, we just want you, and whatever it is, all these things will be at it when we put you uh, first. And so the tender went in Monday afternoon, and um, Kevin and Ben were there, and ours was the highest bid, and we got confirmation from the government on Tuesday. They accepted our bid, so we can give God thanks for that. So as I wrote a few people this week and said, now the way to do, they all replied, pray, 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 even more. So we're going to be praying tonight, again, for just direction uh, regarding this. And we are thankful that God's provided. And I was with, I think it was Hazel this week, and she was like, wow, look how fast that went. And I said, fast? Where have you been the last seven years of us looking at every piece of land in uh, Fredericton? But yes, God can do it very quickly in a couple of weeks with uh, all the preparation that went before it. So thank you for your prayers and your input. We really value that. And we're going to see what God's got for us next. All right. Let's go to our scripture reading from Exodus 34. And this is, again, just the background. Moses has received first the Ten Commandments, came back, the golden calf. He smashed the Ten Commandments. That was a bad, bad scene. And God wanted to wipe him out. And Moses interceded. And then Moses had this incredible encounter with God. Show me your glory. And this is where we pick up the story. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, and the Lord had as the Lord had commanded him. 
and took in his hand two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with them there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Whew, what an experience. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, or some translations say he won't leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses, no wonder, quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance." And, the, and he, that's the Lord, said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you shall see, sorry, whom you are, shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And then he goes on, and he gives a whole list of things that the people are to do. And at the end of the chapter, we read this. And the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now, does that foreshadow somebody else who's going to do 40 days and 40 nights without bread and water? When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. And Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses <clears throat> went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So just an incredible picture of Moses' relationship with God. And in this, and as we read earlier, if you had gone back in Exodus this whole thing of God making a covenant with his people. And so what I want to speak on a bit this morning is just trying to understand what do we mean by covenant? Because it's not a word that we always use um, today. And so we don't sometimes recognize what it means today. If I were to ask you, what does it mean that God covenants with us? I don't know if all of us would know what to say. But here's what we read in the Bible, is that in the Old Testament, the word covenant is used 286 times. In the Old Testament, one of the most used words. In the New Testament, it's used 33 times. And a lot of times, testament, we can say Old Testament means old covenant. New Testament means new covenant. So it's a word that we use all the time, even if we don't fully understand it. So let me try to walk us through what we mean by covenant and how that affects our everyday life. So you've got to stay with me because we've got to connect the dots on a lot of things. So first of all, I'm going to give a definition. This is from Paul Williamson of a covenant. A covenant is a solemn commitment guaranteeing promises or obligations undertaken by one or both parties sealed with an oath. And when it's sealed with an oath, we know that's like a solemn declaration that 
If you say that, that means you're going to do something or you're not going to do something. And so we have oaths that are taken today. So we are saying uh, with our friends who are becoming Canadian citizens, you can take an oath. And if you are, uh, if you see in the movies when you're on uh, to go before the witness stand, you put your hand on the Bible and you say, you know, I do solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me, God. We're taking an oath to say, I'm telling the truth that this is what we're going to do. And so that's the severity. There's a seriousness when we talk about covenant between two parties. Now, here's what we need to make sure we understand is that there's different types of covenant talked about in the Bible. And this is sometimes where we get confused because sometimes we say, well, God said this. So how come this didn't come true? And we say, did God break his covenant? Well, we have to understand there's different types of covenant. And the two main ones that we see in the word of God are this. First of all, there's what's called an unconditional covenant. This is when one pledges to another, no matter what the other party does, they're going to follow through with what they promised. So the onus is on one of the parties, not both parties. So there's no conditions attached. And the one who pledges must come through what is promised, no matter what. It's unconditional. So one party says, I promise to do this. No matter if the other party does what they're supposed to do or not, I'm going to do it and I'm going to come through. It's unconditional. There's no conditions And that is the main one that we see a lot of the times with God. God swears by his own declarations, this is what I'm going to do, and it's permanent without any conditions. And the other one we see is really not surprising. It's called a conditional covenant. And there's conditions for both parties. When an agreement is mutually accepted, it is, however, based upon certain conditions, and these conditions must be met by both parties. So both agree, and both people have to, or both parties have to keep their end of the deal, so to speak. It's conditional. So if the conditions aren't met, the covenant is broken. It's nullified. It's void because both parties need to keep. So you got to keep that in your mind. There's unconditional. One party says, I promise to do this no matter what the other party does. And the second one conditional is both parties are in it together. They both need to meet the conditions. And so I'm trying to educate you because we're going to build here to what God does with his people. And we see that there are different types of covenants. And so I'm going to quote Genesis 17.1 here in a, in a minute. First of all, there's what's called equality covenants. And that's what we have with marriage. So we have two people coming together, husband and wife. And they're promising. They're making commitments. They're making pledges. And there's conditions that put on it. So if you are there for any sort of marriage vows... You know how it goes in some of our traditional ones, for richer, for poorer, for better, or for worse. You know, forsaking all others, I pledge, I vow to be with this person. And there's conditions, and it's between two equal parties. And we want both to hold up their end of the covenant. And so marriage is a covenant. And God's provided, in his mercy, some escape clauses that if people don't hold up to their end... That divorce is permissible to help protect people when the covenant is broken. And obviously that's not what we want, but there's provisions there. And so from a Christian viewpoint, just as a bit of a side note, that's why Christians take marriage and covenant and why we are quite, you know, uh, forceful in saying we really believe marriage is between a man and a woman because it's a biblical thing and it's in the context of a greater whole sense of covenant of God covenant with his people so the world doesn't understand that but marriage is a covenant together between husband and wife 
and we take it very seriously. That's why we prepare people for marriage, because it's not to be taken lightly. And so sometimes we counsel people, we don't think you should get married or not right yet, because this is a serious thing. And it's in the, back, it's in the whole backdrop of the covenant I'm going to talk about. That's why we take marriage very seriously. And so there's an equality covenant, and it's conditional. And there's a sign. There's always an outward sign. And so a lot of times we use our rings. It could be a marriage license, a marriage certificate. That's a sign that we've made those vows and we've entered into that covenant. So that's one example. Another example is what, and I love this term, generosity covenants, and it's unconditional. And so let me explain that one to you. This is where the emphasis falls on the one who is being generous. So if you can think of a senior partner and a junior partner, if that helps you, if you think even in the law term or something like that, the senior partner being generous to the junior partner because they have more of the resources and all of that, the senior partner binds him or herself to some obligation for the benefit of the junior partner, and this falls into the category of unconditional covenant. So the senior party who has probably more of the resources, more of the money, able to follow through, promises to the junior, or sometimes we even say inferior, partner, I'm going to do this for you, no matter what you do. And that's very generous of that person. And it's unconditional. And what I'm going to try to build here is I'm going to help you understand the difference between unconditional, the promises of God to his people, and some of the conditional ones, and then how that ties into Christmas and Jesus. So if you can stay with me, this is the one that you might need an extra cup of coffee as we go through, okay? Our example from the Bible is this, is one example. There's more, but I'm going to stick with this one. God with Abraham. <clears throat> so if you go back and you read Genesis 12 through to 22, this is a generosity covenant. This is God as the senior partner making a covenant with Abraham, the junior inferior partner, with no conditions. The emphasis falls on, the, on God. So if you read it, and we don't have time to go all the way through it, but if you can read it on your own, God makes promises to Abram. He even changes his name to Abraham. So if you pick it up in Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abram, he calls out to him that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless all the nations through you. And you're kind of like, God, where did this come? How did this guy deserve this? He didn't. God chose Abram. And he began to make promises. And so we have the signs here. If you can look at the notes, we have a calling. So we see this in Genesis 15:7, and it's God's sovereignty. It's his calling Abram. We don't think Abram deserved it. We don't even know where Abram come from, came from before this God in his sovereignty picked him, and he calls him, and he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land. So God calls him, and he gives him promises, and we can see it. I'm going to bless you. And he says to him, look at the stars of the sky. Remember, Abraham doesn't have any kids yet. They're not able to have kids. And he says, see all the stars of the sky? That's how many of your descendants are going to be. The sand on the seashore, that's how many descendants you're going to be. He gives them these incredible promises. He says, every nation on planet Earth is going to be blessed through you. Woo! That's incredible. Everyone's like, ah, you know, looking for the guy behind them. Like, me? Gives them incredible promises. And what was Abram's response? It was faith. It says, chapter 15, verse 6, Abram 
believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. There was a step of faith to say, God, you said it, I'm going to believe it. That's faith. It's daring to believe God. And it was unconditional. So if you read in chapter 12 and chapter 15, God gives these promises to Abram without God giving any parameters to Abram to say, now, Abram, you've got to follow all these rules before I give you... No, he gives him all these promises before he says anything. It's unconditional. It's incredible. That's a generous covenant. When God swears, sorry, his declaration to Abram, he says, I'm going to do these things. It's incredible. And even with this, this is what's so helpful. If you read it, even though Abram believed God, he also said this in verse 8 of chapter 15. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know I shall gain possession of it? So honest. The Bible's so honest. Because we always pick out Abram as, he believed God, the man of faith. A verse later, and oh, by the way, God, sovereign Lord, um, can I have some assurance that you're actually going to do this? I love that. That's so helpful. And here's just a few observations. Because we're going to compare Abraham's covenant with the covenant God made with Moses. So we're getting back to Moses, but this is important. This covenant that God made with Abraham is one of generosity because God is the senior partner is making promises to Abram, the junior partner. And it was established before obedience is mentioned. Therefore, it's unconditional. And Abraham failed, if you read the story. So in chapter 16, no kid yet. He says, oh, I'm going to sleep with someone else and that will fulfill it. So we got Hagar, we got Ishmael. That didn't disqualify the covenant coming through. Even in chapter 20, remember, he went to Abimelech and he says, oh, by the way, don't tell anyone, but I'm going to pretend my wife is my sister. So Abraham messed up quite a bit, but it didn't hinder the covenant because God had said, I will do this. The covenant came in where Abraham had faith, but as I said, it was not free of doubt. He needed assurance. And while Abram showed obedience of faith, the covenant was nonetheless not built on Abraham's obedience. Why? Because God took an oath by himself. So this is what I'm just going to read quickly from Genesis chapter 22. And you've got to stay with me because we're making a point here. We're going to compare these two covenants and how it actually affects today. Because you're going to see that many of us, we think we're living in a conditional covenant when we're actually living in an unconditional covenant of grace. So we're getting there. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time, this is chapter 22, and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, this is when he was going to sacrifice Isaac and God provide it, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, through your seed, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So he follows through, and this is a long time, starting out from chapter 12 to 22, that God took an oath by himself. He swore by himself, because he can't swear by anything greater. We swear on the word of God. We swear on God. God has to swear by himself, because there's no one greater than God. But God took an oath to say, I will do this. So it's a done deal. Because God said, I'm going to do this. 
and we see the sign of the covenant of circumcision. It's an outward sign. It's the removal of the male foreskin. And the covenant is extended to Isaac's seed, not Ishmael's. So Abraham's plan B with Hagar and Ishmael, that didn't count. The promise was to what God did through Sarah and Isaac being born miraculously. Now, folks, this is, I'm getting excited because this is building up to somewhere. So hopefully I haven't lost you yet. We'll try to get you back if I have. But we're building up to something because this is incredible. This is explaining everything that we sang about this morning. You have to connect the dots. You have to understand that the Lord has done great things for us. And we're trying to explain what God has done. There's another type of covenant. And this is, so we've had the generosity one. And now we have what's called the law covenant. And it is conditional. The emphasis falls on the obligation of the junior partner and in which the junior partner takes the oath. So it's conditional. The junior partner needs to come through on their promises or the senior partner is not obligated to follow through on what was agreed upon. And this is what we just read about. This is the example of Moses and the people of God. It was the people who took the oath, not God. So God says, I'm making a covenant with you, but the onus is on the people to follow the conditions set aside. So if you go read through Exodus, and we're going to read about it in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there's a whole lot of things in there that they're agreeing to. It's, it's boggling. There's 613 things. We get the Ten Commandments. We can understand that. There's 613 laws that are civil, moral, ceremonial, that are given to the Israelites. That they agree. And we don't have time to go in, but if you read in Exodus 20 and 24, when you go through, the people come before God, and the people take the oath not God. So the people are saying, we agree with everything the Lord has said, and we will do it. So the junior partner is taking the oath and promising, saying, God, we agree with everything you said. We're going to do it. And that's the covenant that they make with God. It's on the people. Every time they say, everything the Lord has said, we will do. And God's side of the covenant with Moses and the people is without an oath. And if we had time in Hebrews chapter 7, we could explain it. God didn't take an oath. The people did. It was on the junior partner to agree and come through and meet the terms and conditions. And this is what we read. And if we had time, we could read Galatians 3. Paul says this. It came, if you read in Galatians 3, the law came 430 years after the covenant with Abraham and his seed. So that unconditional covenant we just talked about with Abraham, that came 430 years earlier than the one we just read this morning when the Lord says, I'm making a covenant with Moses and the people. So why was it brought in? Galatians says this, it was brought in because of the people's sins. This covenant of law that was conditional, Galatians says it was added in. So Abraham's came first, unconditional, but because of sin, God added this covenant in with the people that was conditional and it's one of law. And it motivated people to holiness out of fear or punishment. So if you remember, I think we read it in Exodus 20.20. It says, God says, I'm giving you this law. You're going to know right and wrong. And remember on the mountain, they were all fearful. Like, Moses, you go ahead. We're not going anywhere near you. Because they were like fear, you know, cloud, mountain shaking. Don't go near it. If you touch it, you die. It says, out of fear, we're going to obey God. And that's why it was given. And a reminder, God took no oath, only the people swore an oath. 
And if you remember, if you follow along in the Old Testament, we read in 2 Kings, the people forgot about it, and a guy named Josiah became king. And what did he do? He read the book of the law, and he says, what have we forgotten here? And he gets the people to say again, we take an oath to obey God. And we read it with Asa in 2 Chronicles again in 15. They forget it. Asa becomes king. He becomes aware of it, and it says he and the people agreed and took an oath to say, we're going to do, we're going to follow the covenant of the law. It's a covenant of law, moral, civil, ceremonial. The Moses covenant, Moses and the people are the junior partner who take the oath. Therefore, the blessing depends on what? The blessing depends on their obedience. And if we see, if they disobey the law, they're under a curse. And the covenant of God to Abraham is a covenant of, help me out, grace and generosity, which is unconditional. God is the senior partner, and in that one, God takes the oath, I will do this. And what's the sign for Moses? It's the two tablets, isn't it? And where did the two tablets go? Do you remember? Into the Ark of the Covenant. So the sign of the law was the Ten Commandments plus the other ones. They were a sign of the covenant and they were put in the Ark of the Covenant. Do you see we're connecting some dots here? Raiders of the Lost Ark will make a lot more sense to you after this message. And here's the thing. As I just said, it was dependent upon obedience. There's the sign. And all of these covenants, they were ratified, they were sealed, they were solidified, whatever term you want to say, by a sacrifice in the shedding of blood. So with Abraham, he was going to sacrifice Isaac. God provides a ram. They kill the ram, the blood shed. And if we go back and we read in Exodus 20, it says they brought the bulls and they slaughtered them. And even Moses sprinkled the blood on the people as they took the oath saying, we will obey God. Now here's where we get towards Christmas. So for those of you, this is all new. Christmas you might get. Is that there's a New Testament covenant that there is a new covenant coming. And we read about this in Jeremiah 31. Hallelujah! This is good news that a new covenant is coming. Because this is what we found in the Old Testament. And Moses and the people already did it and we're still in Exodus. The law was given. They know right from wrong. You can't plead ignorance anymore. There's the Ten Commandments. Oh, I didn't know I was supposed to not murder. There it is. Okay? I'm supposed to obey my parents. Right, Micah? Yeah, that's right in there. We can't claim ignorance anymore. But guess what? The people didn't follow them. And the rest of the Old Testament is really a story of the people failing to keep their word. And because God's part was conditional on the people being obedient, when they're disobedient, they're under a curse. And that's why they were always going into slavery. That's why they were always defeated. It was bad news, people. And if you read the Old Testament, it's horrible, the stuff that happened in Jerusalem. They, you know, they're under siege for three years. They're eating their own babies like folks. It's horrible stuff. There's nothing new under the sun. It's horrible stuff. Why? Because they didn't obey God. 
And something's broken, isn't it? We know this is because they had hard hearts. And we read in the Old Testament these different promises. I'm just going to read out one from Jeremiah. And this is when they were in captivity. And just think about being in slavery and not being able to keep the word of God and wondering, God, where are you? And God, I thought you had these promises and we haven't lived up. And you hear this. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Hallelujah! Woo! There's good news. A time is coming when a new covenant is going to take place. And the law is not going to be just on stone tablets. It's going to be in here and, most importantly, in here. And that's what we read about. The law is going to be in our minds and hearts. We're going to be forgiven. And best of all, we're going to get to know God. It's not just going to be the priest. It's not just going to be a few prophets. It's not just going to be the anointed king. It's going to be from the least to the greatest. We get to know God. And this is the new covenant that's talked about. And as we see, and I'm sorry I don't have more time to unpack this, the gospel that Jesus brings is based not on Moses and the law, it's based on the covenant that was already made to Abraham. So if you read in John 1 at Christmas, it says Moses came with the law, Jesus came full of grace and truth. It was in one of the lyrics we sang this morning. The gospel is based on Abraham's covenant. And if we go through very quickly the things that were in Abraham's covenant, there Abraham was called, wasn't he? wasn't anything. It was God's sovereign, unconditional grace. He called Abraham. He was a pagan. And what does God do, as we've just sung about this morning, and Ben read out from Titus? God calls us. Jesus said to his disciples, unless the Father draws, the Holy Spirit draws us, to the Father. The Holy Spirit draws us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit reveals the gospel to us. Because we were ignorant. We were hating people. We were being hated. We were doing our own thing. We were selfish. We were trying to be good. We thought, I don't need God. I'm good in my own things. Until we get a revelation from the Holy Spirit to say, I'm dead in my sins. And I'm separated from God. Until we have a revelation to say, even though I keep all the rules, there's something wrong inside and we begin to give a revelation from the holy spirit that the law tells us right from wrong but actually it points us to the need of a savior because we can't keep all the law and the bible says if we break one law it's like we broke them all and the punishment and the wages of sin is death we're in trouble and god draws us and he reveals by the holy spirit and he convicts and he enlightens And he allows us to see Jesus for who Jesus really is. So God calls and God gives promises. 
you remember some of the promises that he gives? Let me just read out one little section. And I'm just hitting tip of the iceberg on all these things. But Paul says this. The word, of, the word is near you. It's in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Tip of the iceberg. But there's some pretty awesome promises in there. And what's our part? Like Abraham, we say, I'm going to believe that. God said it. I believe it. That's it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. God says it. Faith is daring to believe God's word and what he's promised. Do I deserve it? No. Can I earn it? No. It's generosity, isn't it? I'm going to believe it. And blood had to be shed. And Angela just said, the mist cleared, and there's the cross. And Jesus came as a baby to go to the cross, to be the perfect sacrifice for us, to live a perfect life, to die in our place. There was shedding of blood. Jesus laid down his life as the ransom for us. He paid the price. There's a great reward. There's eternal life when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. As Gary said, the compass has come. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. There's great reward when we put our... And we have great assurance. But God, I think I believe you. And as that guy, you know, Jesus said about his son, he was like, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. God gives great assurance. He gives us his word, his great and precious promises. He gives us his Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. He gives us his Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, that spirit of sonship that cries out, Abba, Father. That I don't have to just wait till heaven to know God. I get to know God now, and I know that I'm a son of God, and God loves me, and God's with me, as Gary taught about last week. And what's the sign? The sign is baptism. It's baptism in water. We identify with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that Jesus is coming again. And a sign is baptism in the Holy Spirit, that we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, that we have that assurance, that we have been clothed with power from on high. And Jesus announced, I'm sorry, I'm running out of time, so we'll keep going. Jesus announced this new covenant at the Last Supper. So before he went to the cross, we read this in Luke 22, 20. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. Jesus announced that this is the new covenant. And this is the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy and the completion of what God announced to Abraham, it means that Jesus would shed his blood 
The shedding of blood was needed for the new covenant. The new covenant promised forgiveness of sins. The new covenant promised the Holy Spirit would give us a new heart. The law would be in our minds and our hearts. And we would have a new power to obey God and to know God. That's why Hebrews, which we went through last year, says the new covenant is so much superior and better and makes the old covenant obsolete. And so close. What's the application for today? And we want to hammer home this, that God's covenants, how he relates to his people, they proceed, they flow, they come from God's nature and character. Because he's a generous but just God. So Moses says, God, show me your glory. God says, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to show his glory. And we continue on chapter 34, and we just read. And God says, I am the Lord, the Lord. And God describes himself to Moses. And what does he say he is? He says, I'm merciful and I'm compassionate. Merciful, we don't get what we deserve. He's a gracious God. We get what we don't deserve. He's a generous God. It's a covenant of generosity. We don't deserve it. But he chooses to give. He's slow to anger. Hallelujah, we have a patient God. God says, I'm rich and abounding in love. I'm steadfast in love. I'm faithful. Never changes. That's why we can put our hope in God, despite what our circumstances are. It says, I'm a forgiving God. Hallelujah, God, that you are forgiving God. We know the negative effects of unforgiveness. When we are not forgiven And when we don't forgive, God says he's a forgiving God, but he's a just God. So the guilty will be punished. And the difference in Christianity is the guilty, you and I, we're either going to take the guilt when we stand before God, or our guilt's going to be put on Jesus. Someone's going to pay the price. Someone's going to pay the penalty. It's either going to be me And I'll have to give an account of my life to God and say why I rejected Jesus and the way of salvation that God's provided. Or I'm going to say, I put my faith and my hope and my trust in a Savior who's come, Emmanuel, and he's paid the price. And the guilt that was mine has been paid on the cross by him. And therefore, justice is served and grace and mercy is given. That's the great hope of Christmas and Jesus and him coming. That's why he's called a savior. He saves us from our sins. He saves us from the wrath of God. Our relationship with God is based from the new covenant. And folks, can I just say this? Many people try to get right with God by what they do or what they don't do. And subconscious, a lot of people, I don't need God, I'm a good person. And we would say it, my neighbors, they, why would they need God? They, they seem to be doing better than I am. They give more to charity. They do all these things. They, they don't need you. Surely they're good enough. That's the law covenant. And Paul says, if you're going to live under that, and you break one thing, you're cursed. And if you read Galatians 3, I ask you to this week, 
Because that's what happened to the Galatians. Okay? Second thing, Christians can do this. Christians can live under the law. Oh, man. I didn't do enough this week. I didn't do enough good. I should have did that. I didn't. And we're like, oh, burden. And we're just like, man, I can't live up. And oh, hold on to heaven. And we can laugh about it. But folks, that's how many of us live. We're not under the law of Moses anymore. Jesus fulfilled the law. Now we're under a covenant like with Abraham that by faith, God gives us his Holy Spirit. So, folks, sometimes we as a church get, I don't know if accused is the right word or not, but sometimes people are like, why do you guys talk about baptism in the Spirit so much? Why do you focus so much on the Holy Spirit? All that. Because we're under new covenant. And if we don't have the Holy Spirit, if you're not drenched, immersed, clothed with power from on high, then unless you've got a really strong willpower, how are you going to ever follow God? And you might keep things on the outside, but you know what's going on in the inside. And how does the law tell you, hey, I think you should send an email to that person just to encourage them. Hey, I think that person needs 20 bucks. You should give that to them. Where do you read that in the law? That's the Holy Spirit in relationship. That's Jesus sending the helper, the comforter, the counselor, our advocate, the one who comes alongside. Just like Jesus to live in us, to be, as we've said so many times before, our umpire, we hear the voice of Jesus saying, I wouldn't go there. Other people might be able to do that, but that's not good for you, okay? I'm not going to judge other people, but for me, that's what I'm going to do. Why don't you give generous, and why don't you give this to this person? Don't even tell anyone else that you're doing it. That's the Holy Spirit living in you. And how do we share our faith? It's the Holy Spirit. He'll give you the right words. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, new covenant. We're born of the Spirit. We still want to obey God. We're slaves to righteousness, so we still want to keep the Ten Commandments. But there's a new power in us from the Holy Spirit to do it, that we don't have to do it on our own anymore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Gives us a whole different perspective. Do I have to keep things? Oh, God, no. Or, God, you give me power within, because I know if I put you first and I do this, it's wonderful living with a clear conscience. It's fun to be generous. The Lord has done great things for us. Hallelujah. I get to live out of responding and worshiping to God out of that. In closing, our mission then is, the Bible says, we're ministers of a new covenant. Now let me just close with this, because I know we've run out of time. But 2 Corinthians, it will make a lot more sense now, hopefully. Let me just read what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3. Just give me a second. Because he's talking about this thing. He's talking about the law and being under it or being filled with the Holy Spirit and living in a new covenant. And folks, we as a church, we need to live under new covenant. And Paul says, Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Verse 6. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, so he's speaking about the law, which was engraved in letters on stone, the Ten Commandments, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? So Paul's saying the law came, which was actually going to, 
tell you right from wrong, and if you didn't follow it, you were going to be under a curse. That came, and Moses faced Sean. Even though it faded when he wasn't with God. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? So even Moses, his face shone. We didn't even want to go near Moses. Moses met with God, and you're like, oh, that's awesome. But when he didn't meet with God, the glory faded away. That's the old covenant, and it came with glory. How much more the new covenant? Let's keep reading. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it, while the radiance was fading away, but their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Hallelujah! Woo! Folks, you might need a little while for this to sink in. Because honestly, if we really believe this, we will be shouting from the rooftops. How do you have a relationship with God? How do you get right with God? It's not through keeping the law. You can try your best. You can try to keep all the rules and regulations. Good, honorable thing to do. It won't get you right with God. And it won't bring you freedom. Jesus fulfilled the law. He laid down his life to fulfill that law so that we can go back to the covenant that was first made with Abraham that we're to live and walk by faith. Not just keeping the rules, but faith in the living God. And Jesus has made a way that when we put our faith in him, he gives us his Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural thing. I don't care how educated you are, anything. It's a supernatural thing. We are to be born again, and we're born of the Spirit of the living God. And when we're born of the Spirit of the living God, he gives us a new heart and a new mind. And his spirit within us tells us to live and to worship God with the whole of our lives, with our money, with our finances, with, and our marriage, and our kids, every aspect. So you're actually doing even more than the law because you're not just obeying it. It's your conscience and it's your attitude and it's your motives. But God helps you to live that out. And we don't have to come with a veil anymore. We can come boldly before our living God. We can ask, we can worship, we can pray, we can intercede. We can share this good news with others because this Holy Spirit powers us to live a life that pleases God. And we have promises that are here that God will always be with us. We have promises for his church that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail it. We have promises that we can be more than conquerors. We have promises that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We have promises that Jesus is returning again. We have promises that we're going to receive a new body. We're going to reign and rule with Jesus forever. Hallelujah! The Lord has done great things for us. Hallelujah. That's what Christmas is all about. It's a new covenant, folks. And I asked this week, we better 
search our hearts. Are we living out of new covenant? For some of us, are we even following Jesus? Do we even, have we put our hope and faith? You can't get the promises until you say, yes, I believe you, God. But when you get those promises, look out. You didn't deserve any of that. I didn't deserve. But God in his generosity grants them to us. And he gives us his spirit for us to live for him. Hallelujah. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Hallelujah. Let me pray. Father, we just want to thank you this morning. God, that you relate to us through your covenants, God, that you have taken the initiative to love us. And God, we thank you for this generous covenant that you've given in Jesus Christ, that we put our faith and our hope and our trust in him. We'll have new life that will be born of the Spirit. We put into your family, God, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. God, that we have a great future with you and that, God, you will help us in everyday life to live a life that pleases you and glorifies you and that we're storing up treasures in heaven. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would come and that you would do what only you can do. You would lift the veil from people to see Jesus Christ for who he really is, Savior of the world, our Lord and Savior. God, I pray for the preaching of your word. You would lift that veil by your Holy Spirit, that you would bring clarity to see Jesus Christ, who he really is, Lord and Savior. And God, I pray for believers here today who have maybe fallen under, like the Galatians did, living under law again. God, you give your spirit because of faith, not duty or our good works. It's a gift from you. And I pray that as a church, we would live in new covenant, spirit-led relationships. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, uh, we'll end things there. We've got lots uh, to think about. And as Joe prayed, uh, we do pray that the Spirit would uh, seal these things in. We do want to walk in that new covenant. Um, and uh, we invite you to come tonight uh, to join us in prayer and thanksgiving to God for the great things that he has done and uh, continue to look to him to do even more great things. And if anything that Joe said, if the Spirit's been speaking to you, we're all up here. Uh, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you as well. Just a reminder uh, to sign up for that Alpha coming up in January. Okay? So blessings on you. We love you. Have a great week.